Welcome to The Long Run. This is a podcast for biotech adventurers. I'm your host, Luke Timmerman. Today's guest is Emily LaProust. Emily is the co-founder and CEO of South San Francisco-based Twist Bioscience. It's a DNA synthesis company. It uses a silicon-based system to write in the language of DNA. That is, make synthetic genes to test ideas in a lab or perform some basic biomedical or industrial function. Many people have heard of reading DNA with high-speed, low-cost sequencing instruments. And that surely opens up a lot of possibilities in biotech. But fewer people may be familiar with the writing part, but it goes hand in hand. Twist has been on a wild growth run this past year. The 52-week range for its stock is between $25 and $214. Investors can debate what the right near-term valuation ought to be for a company in this growth mode, but there's no question there's a secular trend in the upward direction in which Twist is an enabler of both medical and industrial progress. In this episode, Emily talks about her life growing up in France, coming to America to become a scientist, and then growing into a scientific entrepreneur. And by the way, if you listen to the end of this show and hear her mention one of her role models, you might be surprised. She mentioned a certain celebrity media mogul, and she mentioned this person February 19th in our conversation, before the earth-shaking interview with Meghan and Harry. This show won't be as highly rated as that interview, but Emily really has a lot to say of value for people in biotech. And if you like this podcast, then you'll want to subscribe to Timmerman Report. This is where you'll get my in-depth coverage of startups, biotech trends, and sharp commentary from a diverse cast of contributing writers. You can purchase an individual subscription for a year, try it out for a shorter period, or take a group discount. Go to TimmermanReport.com. Now, please join me and Emily LaProust on The Long Run. Emily LaProust, welcome to The Long Run. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, Emily, uh, how are you doing personally? Well, um, I'm, I'm doing doing well. Um, I am a non-essential uh, at Twist, and so I haven't been in the office since uh, March 6th. So actually, I, I have... Um, uh, temporarily relocated from the Bay Area to to Montana, so I'm I'm currently at 8,000 feet uh, of the mountain, and um, so uh, I'm I'm in a very safe place, and I can fully dedicate myself to to Twist. Uh, well, I'm, I suppose that's a nice surrounding and um, um, a good safe place to do your work, but you pr- probably miss being around the office and seeing your employees. Um, no, absolutely. But uh, actually, um, you know, of course, I see them through through Zoom. Um, uh, we may talk about it more later, but it's it's kind of interesting that we've been actually more productive um, to execute our work being remote. Um, there's probably less distraction uh, in the office, but we actually find that it's a little bit harder to to be creative. And so uh, I, I very much miss that, that creativity of getting on, on, on a whiteboard and, and, uh, and brainstorming. That, that's a lot harder through, through Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Well, surely it's been a, a extraordinary whirlwind year for you guys. I mean, last I checked, you're, you've gone to a $7 billion valuation. Your stock is up something like 600% in the past year. 
uh, revenue growth uh, across multiple customer segments. A lot going on here in, in DNA synthesis and synthetic biology and next-gen um, sample prep uh, sequencing. So a, a lot to cover here, uh, Emily. I'm very excited to have you. Um, so... Uh, you know, like at the beginning of these shows, I, I really like to talk about the person, the entrepreneur, the founder of the company. Uh, so where does your story begin? It, you're from France, right? Yes, yeah, so I was born in France. Um, uh, I came to the U.S. Uh, to do my, my PhD. I did my PhD in, uh, in Houston, Texas. So actually, I learned English in uh, in Texas. Uh, I didn't pick up the, the accent, but... I do know that uh, okay. that you so, all... so Emily, can we just back up just a little bit? Uh, like, tell me a little bit more about uh, growing up in France. What what part? Uh, I grew up in the in the center of France, um, in a city called Tours. Uh, actually, ironically, is the part of France where there is no accent. So in French, I don't have an accent, uh, but of course, in English, uh, I do, and uh, it's. Uh, it's a, in France, it's a medium-sized city. It's 200,000 uh, people. Um, and um, yeah, that, that's, where, that's where I grew up. And what did your uh, parents do for a living? So my parents were, uh, uh, I was going to say, ah, oh, but they are still entrepreneurs. Um, they, had, uh, they had two businesses. One, one was um, a, a general contracting uh, business um, where they would you know, uh, build houses for people and, and um, they, they've used that, that business to, to build a uh, kind of a real estate portfolio. So they, they've been always investing and, and uh, renting and, and growing that, that, that part of the business. And then the second part is they, um, they had a uh, kind of an electronic store. So kind of like the, the French Best Buy and so uh, actually that that's where i learned uh, how to sell because uh, I, I i was in charge of selling the vcrs when they come when those come, came out and so that 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 was uh, that that um, that um, electronic store was where i, I honed my uh, my selling skills when i was 11 or 12 Interesting. I was just going to ask, you know, there's a child of entrepreneurs. I mean, you must, uh, uh, you, you get enlisted into the business early on, or you absorb a lot <laughs> through osmosis. Uh, how, how old do you, do you remember how old you were when you started uh, hanging around and, and picking things up about business? Well, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, that's the only thing that my parents talked about because they were running the businesses together. So at the, uh, the dinner table, that's the only thing I heard about was was uh, customers and issues and and um, and uh, and financing and and uh, I think that that's that's where I learned uh, our our service is 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 very important. Actually, service is is a value of twist and uh, and the, the, that's why I learned that the customer is not always right, but the customer is always the customer. So even if they are not right, you still have to make it right. Uh, and and um, that's that's the way I learned that um, actually when you when you goof when you make make a mistake it's actually an opportunity because people know that mistakes happen and if you take care of people uh, when something bad happens that actually creates loyalty and so you don't want to goof on purpose but if you do goof uh, it is a it is a gift it is an opportunity to create loyalty and and. Uh, and it's it's those times that it's super important to to turn things around because that, that you're create you're creating long term 
long-term uh, glue with your customers. That is such an insightful insight uh, thing to pick up as a kid. You know, when you said that, it just reminded me of, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur too and run my own newsletter. And there, it reminds me, like I, I handle the customer service my, myself or I, maybe a little less now, but especially in the beginning, you know, I've learned about my readers. And one day there was <laughs> a, a, a Nobel laureate um, who I had never even spoken to uh, wrote to me and said, hey, hey, I lost my password. Can somebody help me? And it's like, I, I wrote to him personally. He's like, wow, um, thank you <laughs> for fixing this thing. And it's like, you know, actually now I'm getting to know like a, a really important scientist, um, you know, strikes up a conversation. Tell me more about your latest research. I mean, so exactly, you know, I make a mistake. Something's a little, little off, but you, you, you find a way forward and, and turn something, turn it into a positive. Yeah, and to this day, you know, we uh, for every every purchase, uh, at least we send a, um, a feedback form, and people, you know, say how happy they were about about it. And um, and to this day, I read every uh, feedback that comes back from customer because that that's where I learn I learn you know uh, where to go and uh, how to do, how to do better. Very that's interesting. That's something I learned from my dad, which is. Um, you can always do better. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I was, I, I had the best grades in school. And when my dad signed the, the, the report card, it was always good, but can do better. Yeah. And so I, I think that's ingrained in me about, um, yeah, you always have to do better. Okay. So you were a good student. When did your interest turn towards science? Um, so, I mean, the, the French system is a little bit weird because the, the French system, uh, it, it's you know high quality schooling. Uh, it's it's free, uh, but uh, the the state decides what they want. So actually, I wanted to be I wanted to to be uh, uh, go in medicine and I wanted to be a doctor. But uh, but in France, uh, because I had I had better grades, um, uh, I, I was pushed into engineering. So the state of France need more engineers than any doctor. And so the irony that if you're if you're good, you go to engineering, and if you're good but you know slightly less good, that's where you go to to medicine. And so um, I didn't really have a passion for science; I was just good at it. And and um, and then I got I got pushed into that that engineering path. And and in the grand scheme of engineering, I I, I chose chemistry. Um, 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 and, uh, so, so I ended up doing a, a master of science in in industrial chemistry, and then I, I really wanted to learn English, and so I thought that uh, doing a PhD in the US would be perfect to to learn English and and you know get to go to the next step. And, why did uh, I thought? Why did you want to learn English? Well, I mean, um, in, if you want to succeed in business, you you, you I mean, it is the is the lingua franca. Of, of business and science. So um, um, I, 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 yeah, I don't think, I don't think that in, in this day and life, in day and age, wherever you are in the world, you've got to master English to, I think, to succeed. Okay. But I guess uh, you were beginning to form a plan of where you wanted to go in these, either this undergraduate or, or master's engineering program. What, what was your idea then? No, my, frankly, my idea was I, I will go to, to to the US, I'll do a PhD, whatever the, the topic, don't know, uh, I'll learn English and I'll go back to France. And, and as a thing, look, we are 21, you make the most important decisions of your life, which in my case was once I got to Houston, I had to choose a professor to, to do my PhD and, and the professor I chose 
uh, was studying DNA structure and DNA synthesis. So uh, I ended up um, you know, learning about DNA uh, in Houston. Before that, I'm not sure I could have spelled DNA. Um, <laughs> Um, and and so yeah, you're 20 years, 21 years old, making the biggest decision, choosing DNA for, as as a lifelong um, career. Uh, it turned out really well, but uh, it, it 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 was not very very um, very well thought out. Um, to be to be very transparent, kind of serendipitous. Okay, so what year was this in Houston? 1996. 1996. Okay. So um, now what was your advisor's line of, of research uh, focused on? So our line of research was um, DNA structure. So understanding DNA structure. And, and because what happens is if, if there are some diseases that are due to some triplets uh, repeats that that create a special structure of DNA, and so if you study the structure of DNA, you can understand diseases. So that that was our main initial focus, and then what happened is, was that to study the structure of DNA, you had to make DNA, and so I had to first learn DNA synthesis uh, to make all those uh, fancy flavors of, of DNA. Uh, before to before being able to study the structure, and and then right at that time, that was that's when in '96, that's when the idea of, of DNA microarrays came in. The idea was instead of making one piece of DNA, one oligo at a time, why don't you make a few thousands at a time? And so actually, my PhD ended up being uh, about making <clears throat> a parallel synthesis of thousands of oligos uh, at the same time. And so I think my my PhD claim to fame was being able to make 2000 oligos at the same time. And now at Twist, we make uh, a million oligos at the same time. So so uh, different scale, but, but um, so everything I've done in DNA was, how can you make more than one oligo at the same time? And, and, um, and then, what can you do with, with those oligos? So microarrays were emerging. Was uh, was this around when Affymetrix was starting to uh, take off and maybe a couple of others? Yeah, no, definitely. That, that, that was a time where, where um, Affymetrix definitely was was the, the, the leader. And, and Affymetrix, they used, um, they used a photolithographic mask. And those masks were very expensive. And so that meant that if you had to build a series of masks, um, uh, you will have to make many, many microarrays to recover the cost. And so what, what I used was um, a projector, um, you know, where you could project on the screen. Uh, I used that projector, though, those micro mirrors, as, as uh, a mask-less device to control the chemistry in space. And I remember going to buy the... Um, I think it was a Texas Instrument projector, and then opening it, and and then I called Texas Instrument to say, oh, how does that work? You know, how how do you connect the the electronics? And the first thing they said is, no, no, if you open it, you're going to avoid the warranty. I'm like, I don't care about the warranty. I, I know that. Um, so they were they were horrified that um, that we will um, open up their 
the projector to um, to to try to hook it up. And so now, now the underlying chemistry that you were working with was this the the phosphoratomite kind of based system that had been around like 15, 20 years previous, Marv Carruthers and others had, had worked on? Yeah, exactly. Um, Marv published in 1982, the chemistry. Um, So yeah, it was exactly that, you know, that chemistry has been optimized by thousands of years of grad student. And, and uh, I've put in my, my own four years in, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It's uh, how to, how to control in space, the phosphorylated chemistry. Um, so that um, I, I still wonder why he hasn't won a Nobel yet. He would be one of those people that you know is got to be close. <laughs> um, but um, but at any rate, and, and, and is the nicest guy. I mean, seriously, it is is I've had the privilege to interact with him, and and uh, is the the nicest, smartest person you've ever met. Yeah. Now, I mean, for for people who don't live and breathe this as much, um, DNA synthesis, I mean, it's it's writing in DNA code and sequencing. We hear a lot more about that's that's reading the code and reading and writing. I mean, they go together hand in hand. Um, maybe um, how, how do you think about how did you think about that concept then as opposed to now? Yeah, I mean, uh I think um, I think about it similarly. That that uh, you know, back then when I was doing a PhD, um, it was Sanger sequencing. But actually, I went out of my way to learn Maxim Gilberg uh, sequencing, which was uh, already ancient then. But but you know, my my view was that you know, you need I needed to understand how writing and reading work because. Uh, if you want to control an army, if you can read, it's good. If you can write, it's good. But if you can read and write, you 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 will win. Um, and so uh, we've we've seen an incredible uh, advancement on the reading side. Uh, and uh, right now, Illumina is the uncontested leader of, of reading, and and many companies are trying to compete with them. And and we we think that the twist is kind of the Illumina of DNA writing. We we there's an there hasn't been that much improvement over the last uh, decades in, in DNA synthesis in writing. And, and uh, we believe that the, our silicon platform is that next leap in, in technology to, um, to move DNA writing forward and enable a lot of new great things. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, let's get to there in a minute. But um, so it sounds like your graduate school career, you, you uh, you're getting this great training in in the fundamentals of DNA synthesis uh, for to to learn more about structure, structural biology, um, and and then then what happens? What did you do after getting the PhD? So I I really did not want to do a, a postdoc. Um, because you know, my view of postdoc is, uh, is only useful if you want to be a professor. And I, I really did not want to be a professor. I want to be in industry. I'm more of an applied person. Um, uh, I love the D. I'm, I'm, I don't really enjoy the R. I mean, I do the R, but I'd rather do the D. And, and so I was looking for a job. And uh, so my PhD was, uh, I've done the, the DNA synthesis. I've done the surface preparation of, of the glass uh, to attach the DNA. And I had done the, 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 the molecular biology of analyzing the DNA that I made. 
And so, and I read this this one uh, job description in science where a company needed a chemist that knew about surface chemistry and DNA synthesis and analysis of DNA. And so it, you know, it was, it was my perfect job. Uh, and it was the only job I applied to uh, during my PhD and is the only job I got. And I think it's basically the only job interview that you know, I, I, I had to, to get to take a job. And um, so I interviewed in, uh, I think, in, you know, in August of, of 2000 and I got, got the job, you know, very quickly because I was, uh, I think I was the only scientist in the US that had that perfect, unique uh, combination of skills at the time. Huh. So you were you were a perfect fit. And did this? What was the company? And, and this, did this take you out to California? Yes. Yeah, so that the company was uh, Agilent Technologies. Oh, it was Agilent. So that took me to California, and I worked there for thirteen years. Uh, I mean, of course, I changed job every every few years, but um, that that um, I, I worked there until until I moved to Twist. Interesting. So, you know, you're the daughter of entrepreneurs, um, but you you go to work at a like a pretty big established company and, you know, 13 years is a long time. Um, what were you thinking? Were you just kind of like moving from one assignment to the next, learning more and more, um, happy doing what you were doing? Or um, did, did, you th- yeah, did you have an eye towards starting a company at some point? Well, I, uh, so I, I always wanted, you know, you know, uh, to be a CEO. Uh, but uh, initially, at, at the time when I joined, I, I thought that it will never happen uh, because in I thought that in biotech, uh, you needed to you needed a lot of money uh, to to start a company. Uh, so so I focused on on so I, I was in R and D and I. I, I Went up the the ladder and I ended up being a, a director of of, of um, chemistry and, and application R and D, and I was really good at R and D. Me and the team that we, we we launched amazing products that that were very successful, and and uh, as I was launching those products, I got more exposed more and more to the to the customers, to the sales team, to the marketing team. And I really wanted to move out of R&D into a commercial role. And so uh, after a while, even though I was really good at R&D, I, I was looking for that uh, commercial role to move out of it. And, and a couple of things happened. One, uh, uh, actually, I, I, I re-met an old school friend of mine who, who we were together in, in, in chemistry school and actually he went to start companies and he sold them. And I was telling them, oh, you know, in biology, you have to raise a lot of money and, and kind of told me like, okay, then why don't you? When was the problem? Uh, so I think that was kind of a first kick in the, in the pants. And then and at the same time, my two co-founders at Twist independently on their own on uh, at night in the garage that invented that that new idea of of writing dna that would become twist and they were looking for for a ceo uh, one of them bill banier uh had been a ceo before and he knows he knew that that being a ceo is, is actually a terrible job and so he didn't want to do it himself and so the two of them were looking for a ceo and and uh, and i'm the victim so, uh, you, so it sounded like, I mean, you, you weren't, sh- sh- you maybe lacked a little confidence that you weren't sure that you could raise money. Uh, well, um, 
Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, there is, uh, um, unfortunately, um, um, oh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I do have a little bit of the imposter syndrome, um, which, uh, which you know, is good because it makes you, it can, can be good if you harness it because it makes you go, go further. But um, yeah, yeah, in, on my own devices, I, I, I thought that it would be, it will not be possible until my friend told me, well, uh, you know, no, of course it is possible. Well, Others do it, and that, that's what I needed to say. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, was it? Were you thinking too that you know, I'm a woman, an immigrant, I've got an accent. I mean, I don't exactly fit the profile <laughs> for the typical biotech CEO. No, exactly. If you go to a VC, uh, a VC uh, fund, uh, and you say, uh, you know, draw, draw uh, yeah, there's a piece of paper on the pen, draw a CEO, they will definitely not, not, not draw me. And um, and 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 you know we've we've had our, our own um, <clears throat> and when we talk to to VCs um, initially we got a lot of no's but we also got got yes and and uh, and very early on we got we got a yes and someone well, said yeah we'll give, you, we'll give you money but we need a CEO that's that's male with gray hair <laughs> and like we, I was going to step down. I was going to say, okay, Bill, yeah, it's going to be you. That's fine. And actually, Bill, to his credit, uh, Bill is amazing. Bill is like, well, you know, I can't sit on radio, but he said uh, something that started with FM, we don't need his money. So, <laughs> so good, for, good for him. That, that's the sign of a good co-founder. Okay, but so let, let's back up a little bit on Twist. What, what was the uh, original idea? What, what was the problem that you were really trying to solve here uh, for customers that you saw out there in the marketplace, you and your co-founders? Yeah, I mean, the idea was uh, DNA was expensive to make. Um, and 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 if you wanted a, a lot of different sequences, it was not it it was it was hard. And at the same time, you had a number of of of, of uh, market segments that were becoming more and more hungry for DNA. <clears throat> um, for instance, synthetic biology. Uh, they uh, they do the design build test principle of engineering. And so they design DNA and they, they need to make it. They need to make the genes to test it to see what, what works. And, and so they were basically limited by how much DNA they could, they could purchase with their budget. Uh, in diagnostics, there was a targeted sequencing where uh, in, you focus your sequencing on, on the cancer genes, for instance, to do liquid biopsy. That, that also needs a lot of DNA. So there, is, there was all that, that demand for DNA and, and the DNA synthesis had not changed, you know, frankly, for, for, for years. Now, what, what, so, year, what year was this that you were getting started? So we got our, our first funding in, in, uh, in 2013, tax day, April 15, 2013, but uh, you know, it, it takes a few months to, to get things going. So it was, it was in 2012. So for 20 years, um, DNA synthesis, underlying technology, how you do this, hadn't really fundamentally changed a lot. Uh, and and uh, there, there weren't, you know, massive efficiency gains in the existing processes. What, what was the, uh, what, what kind of cost were people paying, like on a, on a per base pair basis or however people measure that? Yeah, so, so in... Um, in 2012, it, it was 25 to 30 cents per base. Um, um, 
that that was the price, and that was an improvement uh, a few years before. Um, in 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 uh, late 2000, it was one dollar per base, and then you know ten years before in 2000, it was ten dollars per base, and then before that, it was a hundred dollars per base. So it, it had come down, but even at twenty five dollars per, per twenty five cents per base. Um, it was still a, it was still a, a bottleneck for for uh, customers. Okay, okay. And now the analogy, like for sequencing, not to belabor this, but you know, people have heard about, say, you know, when we had the ten thousand dollars genome, or the five thousand dollars genome, or the thousand dollars genome. When you get to a thousand dollars genome, well, now a lot more kinds of experiments become possible. P- people can imagine doing things that they couldn't really do before. Is this same principle at work here with DNA synthesis and synthetic biology? If you can get that cost down, people can do a lot more things. Yeah, it's it's exactly the, the same the same thing with a caveat, and the caveat is that um, in DNA sequencing uh, the market is elastic. So in sequencing, you lower the price twenty percent, the market grows forty percent. You lower the price twenty percent again, the market grows forty percent again. And and we believed, and now we've shown it's true that that the same thing happens with DNA writing, but at the time. Uh, it was a leap of faith for investors to do that, to to make that leap of faith. And so actually, we we our pitch was that there was a market, and that if we took that market, it would be enough. So we we did not try to pitch a market growth, um, um, uh, because it was too hard for investors to 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 sign on. Uh, but but they were happy to sign on with. Okay, there's a big market. Twist can come in with a better mousetrap and uh, and, and we, we got the funding and the rest is history. If you like this show, subscribe to Timmerman Report. That's where my best writing goes and it's the way this independent biotech journalist earns a living. Thanks for your support. TimmermanReport.com And there is another way to support quality independent biotech journalism. You could sponsor the Long Run Podcast. If you're a service provider to the biotech community, this is a way to get your brand name and a brief description of your services in the ears of more than 5,000 biotech industry listeners every other week. These people are concentrated in major biotech hubs, and they tend to be decision makers at companies and investment firms. Ask my business rep, Stephanie Barnes, for more information about how to become a sponsor. Her contact information is on TimmermanReport.com. Okay, so let's talk about that better mousetrap. What what was the the technological approach? Yeah, so the technological approach is that um, if you look at, at you know, our DNA is made, you know, uh, it's a ninety six web plate, and you can make ninety six oligos at the same time. And and but and so you make they say you make a PCR primer, and if you ask people, uh, how often do you run out of PCR primer? You, know, you buy a primer, how often do you have to rebuy the same one? It turns out that it's never because you get so much DNA that that synthesis on a 96 web plate is actually very wasteful because you make so much DNA that it's a lifetime supply, you, ne- you never run out. And so the, the insight that the, the bills had was, well, instead of using 50 microliters uh, of a 96 web plate, why don't we go down you know, a thousand times less? Why don't we do 50 nanoliters? 
and and uh, if you make DNA at a 50 nanometer scale, um, you still get enough DNA to do all the experiments you need in your lifetime. But now you use a lot less reagents, and so the cost goes down. And now in the same format of a 96 well plate. Uh, you don't make 96 oligos, but you make 1 million oligos. So you make 10,000 times more oligos, 10,000 times more diversity of sequences. And then they were very clever to, to put those oligos into clusters of 100. And so then you could do pools of 100 oligos. And then you could do molecular biology on those 100 oligos to assemble them into genes. And so now that silicon plate that could have up to a million oligos, you could use it to make up to 10,000 genes. And so that's, that's the difference. So if you start a company, do not go for 10% better. Do not go for 10 times better. You know, you want to go for 10,000 times better. So massive level of miniaturization that, that enables um, massively parallel um, DNA synthesis. That's right. And so that's the basic of the, of the platform with addition of a, a sprinkling, more than a sprinkling, a, a heavy dose of software. Because what we do is we make all the products for all the customers on the same chip at the same time. And so uh, you need to track all of that because the customer never sees the silicon. We do it in-house. And then at the end, we split uh, the, or take the DNA off, um, off and, and ship it to, to customers. And so that tracking uh, is actually super heavy. Uh, and so there's a lot of software um, that, that we had to build. And, and, and so together, that's hardware plus software uh, is the Twist platform. And from there, we are building four businesses on top. Well, we can, well, let's get to those in a, in a minute, but you're um, like, if I'm a researcher and I'm interested in like the KRAS gene, I just, I send you the sequence, I, I send it into twist and, and out comes like, uh, you know, the gene in, in, a, <laughs> in, in my mailbox from FedEx, right? That's right. It's your gene in your vector, nine sensor base, delivered quick in your, delivered perfect uh, uh, in, um, yeah, in the mail. And so, you know, the first time I cloned, I was like, I can't believe I'm cloning. It's amazing. So amazing cloning. And then the second time you clone, you're like, why am I still doing this? You know, cloning is the 21st century equivalent of coal mining. Um, you're just pushing one liquid from one tube to another, uh, and it's not the value add. The value add is once you have that gene, it's the science you do after. That is the value add. The cloning part is just, you know, it's just tedious uh, um, hygiene that you have to make. So friends, don't let friends clone. Um, <laughs> how, how long did it take you to kind of work out the kinks and, and get your system like really dialed in and, and, and operating uh, efficiently? Well, you know, uh, if you ask me, it's never good enough. So we're still not finished. Um, uh, but uh, we, we shipped our first product um, in 2016. Um, yeah, it was our alpha launch. It was not a great launch, to be very, to be very um, uh, frank. Uh, we could make the genes, but our tracking system was pretty uh, poor at the time, and so we had trouble to know which gene was was which. So it really shut down for a while. We uh, we added the software that we needed, and then we we relaunched uh, our beta access in in 2017, which. Uh, 
uh, was really good uh, in terms of throughput. We could make, if you needed a thousand genes, we are the only game in town. But back then we were slow. Um, it took us 30 days to make a gene uh, easily. Um, and the market was 15 days. So we were slow. But wow. over time, we were able to lower the speed. Now we are you know, at 13, 15 days, so we're average. Uh, we have a, we've built an amazing e-commerce. It's beautiful, intuitive, frictionless. Uh, basically, the DNA is free. You pay for the user experience. Uh, then we've added fla uh, flavors of DNA. Um, first, we had only genes up to 1.8 KB, and now we have genes up to 5 KB. Uh, first, uh, we used to only sell... You used to get you know, one microgram of plasmid. Now we can do maxi-prep, giga-prep. And now we even go all the way to proteins. If you want uh, an IgG uh, antibody, actually we'll ship you the, DNA, the, the, the protein, right? We'll make the DNA, we'll make the protein, we purify it, ship it to you, super high throughput um, and, and very, very low cost and, and great turnaround time and, and people love it. Okay, so you were refining your processes while you're still a private company, which is kind of a nice part of being a private company, <laughs> not operating in the glare of the public markets. Uh, but you got this thing down to nine cents a base pair and your turnaround time, you got it squeezed down to uh, about two weeks, uh, which is which is where others are. How, how do you compare with uh, the other players in the market? I don't know, I count like nine or 10 of them uh, on, on the price part. Yeah, so they are still at 25 cents a base because you know they they they, they had optimized their technology for for years, and so they, they just can't they just can't can't match us. So, you know that that's why I love I love the head to head, right? Uh, it's a bloodbath. We go in nine cents, they go in 25 cents. You know, uh, it's a um, I don't want to say that it's it's an intelligent test, but uh, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's a good differentiation, uh, and so we differentiate on the gene side. We differentiate on price. Uh, we can't differentiate on quality because we only everybody sells perfect genes. If you don't have a perfect gene, you're not in business. So you can't be more perfect than perfect. Uh, on an other business line for our targeted sequencing, there we differentiate on quality. We have a we have a superior quality in terms of uh, um, uniformity of our oligos. And what that means is that our sequencing customers, uh, when they switch to twist, they they don't have to over sequence as much as they used to. So we can save them, you know, fifty percent of of sequencing cost. Um, so so the idea when we go into a market, uh, we want to to be disruptive. We don't want to do me too. I, I never. I'm not interested in doing a me too. And so on Synbio, we differentiate on price. In NGS, we differentiate on, on quality. Now, for people who aren't familiar about NGS, you got to do the DNA synthesis as a sample prep step uh, before you can run it through the, the Illumina sequencer or whichever one you got. Uh, and uh, that that sample needs to or needs to be over sequenced uh, like 15 to 30 times, right? To make sure that you've got it accurate. Uh, and, and you're saying that people don't have to do as much of that over that repetitive over sequencing to make sure that they've got the accurate sequence and that's where they get their savings. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So what you describe is exactly uh, what happens when you do um, whole genome sequencing. So you, you, you sequence the entire genome, you sequence every base. And what will happen is you're going to get coverage 
um, somewhere between 20 to 30x coverage. And that's enough for whole genome sequencing. Where we come in is, is when people want to sequence subsets of the genome. They may say, you know what? I'm only interested in a kinase. I don't want to sequence something else. Or they may say, I'm only interested in chromosome one or, or all the cancer genes or all the, the card, cardio genes. And so they come to us and we make, we make a pool of oligo, it's called a panel. And, and uh, that pool is going to extract the regions that they want. And you only sequence that. And so if you do it well, when you sequence, you only see the, the kinase genes. There's nothing outside, and you all you only see chromosome one. The problem is that capture adds some noise. So instead of sequencing everything between 20 and 30x coverage, with the noise, some regions will have 10x coverage, and some region will have 100x coverage. But you need at least 20x, so you will have to over-sequence everything to bring the sequencing to, on the low end, 20x, but now the high end goes to 200x coverage. And so you, have, you just have over-sequencing. And the probes that we make, the oligos that we make, they are so uniform that when we capture, there are no noise added. And so you, you get on the first shot that 20 to 30x coverage, and, and so that means you don't have to sequence as much. And so that means you can, on the, every lane of the sequencer, you can put double the number of samples. And, and uh, so you can do your research faster and, and, uh, and it's less price per sample. And so you, you, your budget takes you further. Lower price per sample. And it also frees up the machine itself to, to do that next experiment a, a little quicker. Um, That's right. And, and with the, all the money that people save, guess what they do? They just analyze more samples because they have a budget and they're going to spend it. And so, so they just get more science for their book. Okay. Okay. So the NGS part is a big part of your business, synthetic biology as well. Could you talk a little bit about the customer mix and how that evolved? Did, did you start out like is typical with just, you know, academic researchers and SynBio and NGS and then kind of, you know, expand out in concentric circles from there? Yeah, so at Twist we have a, we have a, we have embraced, uh, you may have heard the, the question of, why do people rob banks? Uh, and, and that is because that's where the money is. And so our commercial strategy is basically to say, where is the money and, and go there? So actually, we usually do not go uh, after academia first. We do not. We go after big companies because uh, for the same amount of effort initially, you just get bigger orders. And so um, it's, it's for us, we go after big companies first because that, that's how we get early ramp in revenues. Okay, but ma- then- ma- it, that's true now I, I can see, but like in the beginning, did you, where did you start? Because often, you know, Pfizer or Merck, I mean, they were not gonna really be the first people to early adopters necessarily, right? Um, or were they? Yeah, yeah um, so it's hard for me. I, I can't. I can't name names except I can say that it's very public. That uh, our first big customers was was Ginkgo, uh, and Ginkgo they are the largest users of, of DNA in the world. We uh, we have a, a four year contract, and uh, our first contract was one year. They uh, they ordered a hundred million bases which was the biggest order at the time. The second contract, they ordered 300 
million bases. And then the third contract, they ordered 1 billion bases. But by the time we signed it, it was 1.5 billion. So, you know, half a billion bases between friends is, is nothing. Um, and, and so, uh, so Ginkgo was our early, uh, early um, big customers and they were a startup themselves. And between us, we had a joke about who was going to break first. Will Twist break first because we could not make it? Or will Ginkgo break first because we could make it, but they could not use it? And in the end, none of us broke and, and, um, and they scaled up their business nicely. And, and uh, so they were our first anchor customer. Uh, they used well, to let's, be... let, let's talk a little bit about Ginkgo. Um, wh- what was it that they were uh, so excited about with your uh, ability to provide them with uh, with genes? Um, what were they trying to do? So uh, I'm going to paraphrase what, what, what they, they said, and I, I, uh, I hope I won't misrepresent it, but uh, I think their vision was that biology is very hard because biology does not work. Uh, and so it, biology is very expensive. And as a consequence, you could, you could only apply biology to big markets. Uh, so drugs, because drugs, you could justify a big expense in R&D because the market would be billions of dollars. And Ginkgo's idea was to say, look, if I could get cheap gene, I mean, not, uh, more affordable gene, lower cost genes, if I could put automation, if I could put computation uh, together, I will reduce the cost per data point. And if the cost of data point goes down, that means the cost of biology goes down. And that means now I can apply biology to smaller market. So now I don't need a billion dollar market. A hundred million dollar market is fine. A 50 million dollar market is fine. And it turns out that there are many, many more hundred million dollar markets. And so um, so I think that that was the idea. And so their idea was, let's automate, let's scale up, let's go big or, or go home and, and reduce the price per data point. And, and so they needed a lot of inexpensive genes. And, um, and we needed the customers that could use a lot of genes. So it was a, a match made in heaven. And uh, this is a, these are better questions to pose to Ginkgo itself, I suppose. But, um, you know, I mean, they're looking at a lot of different markets, as you say, outside of traditional pharmaceuticals. Uh, places, in fact, where, um, you know, say the petrochemical industry plays uh, <laughs> uh, plastics and whatever. Uh, could, could biology, uh, could, could we get a, a lot of these consumer products from a biological base rather than a fossil fuel base? Yeah, so now I'm going to speak on my behalf, but uh, my, my view is that, uh, uh, yes, the, the last 100 years, or, yeah, 100 years were, were the, the years of plastics. Uh, plastic really changed our lifestyle for, for the better. Um, uh, and, and my view is that the future will be uh, uh, materials made of proteins. Um, we are going to be able to engineer proteins to have whichever... Uh, features we want. They can be strong, they can be light, they can be flexible, they can be transparent or or dark or whatever we want. And the cost of making protein will get to a point where it will be cheaper uh, and more sustainable and we'll have better products, better better, uh, characteristics of those materials uh, when they are made of protein. And and so the, the field of protein engineering is, is at the beginning of, of, of a, a huge business cycles, uh, in my view. 
Yeah, I already make uh, sandwiches for my daughter with compostable uh, lunch bags as opposed to the, uh, you know, the plastic variety. So, I mean, you, you can begin to see it. I mean, it's yeah, coming. Absolutely. And and so, and it has to be, it has to be cheaper, right? Um, I talk to a lot of people, it's unfortunate, but uh, people do not care about sustainability. People will not pay more for sustainability. And so it has to be cheaper. Uh, and you get the sustainability for free. Uh, and on top of it, uh, it used to be just replacement. So drop-in replacement, you have a, a new a new plastic. You don't know it's made by fermentation. Uh, and then, so that was kind of the, the early successes, but now we are moving into new materials that are better. And 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 uh, and that that's what's exciting because you're going to be able to have you know shoes made of of spider silk that are super light and super strong. Or you're gonna have to have, you're going to have a jacket that that is leather uh, made of of you know from from growing bacteria. Uh, it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be better. Uh, you're going to have blue dyes to dye your jeans. Uh, that are going to be uh, cheaper to make and less polluting, and you're going to have a wider range of color. So um, it has to be cheaper. It has to be better uh, because people won't pay more for sustainability. It's uh, it's really exciting when you think about how many different things you can do with this. Um, and, and Ginkgo is is a part of the story, but it looks like I mean they're um, you know not as big of a percentage of your revenue, uh, customer revenue as they once were. Uh, you've been growing really fast. Where is that growth coming from the last year or two? Yeah, so you're right. Uh, Ginkgo used to be fifty percent of our of our revenue, and, and last quarter they were they were five percent. Not because they they shrank; it's just because we grew faster than their demand. Um, and um, I mean, and the the, the big growth uh, in the last few years uh, for us has been around everything healthcare. Um, we, we we can serve we serve healthcare, of course. We serve uh, academia. We serve agbio. Um, but healthcare is really where, where things are, have, have, t- have taken off. Um, and uh, I'm happy to go through the, the, the list of products that we have, but uh, uh, we, we can help people discover vaccine. We can get people discover uh, biological drugs. We can help people uh, develop and run diagnostic assays for genomic assays to look at the DNA mutations to understand what kind of, of, of of therapies to to give, and so um, uh, the vaccines, we, diagnostics. I mean, the cell therapies. So many. I mean, they all they all need DNA synthesis of the sort that you're offering. It all starts from DNA, exactly. And so we, yeah, um, um, yeah, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but but I'll, I'll do it anyway. We we want to be the arms dealer of of all those great applications. Um, um, so we view our customers as the heroes. We are not the hero. Uh, our customers are the hero. We are there to serve them, to enable to do, enable them to do things that they could not do, and then push science forward. And so um, we we are happy. We succeed when when our customers succeed. Uh, in developing those those amazing new new science. I mean, if you look at, at COVID, 
Yeah, I was just going to say like now one year ago, COVID hits and you're, you're, you know, really hitting your stride. You're in this better, faster, cheaper zone, kind of Moore's Law, Silicon Valley economics. And you looked around at the world and saw this need. Um, what did you do then? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, of, of course, you know, COVID has been very bad for, for society and it's put uh, many millions of people in, 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 in hardship. Uh, but, you know, it. Uh, it has been good for Twist in a sense. We've built Twist for a COVID world. Uh, frankly, uh, we um, we we have products you know that that are there for surveillance. So before COVID, we had we had a pan viral assay where you you could take a blood sample and and analyze all the viruses in there. Um, and um, in the Lancet, I think in 2019 there was a or 2018 a publication where the U.S. Army used our our product in nigeria and and they they found an outbreak of of monkeypox and they were able to crush it right there so you never heard of it because they detected it and, and it was it was it was fixed um so we do that that surveillance of of nature of the environment uh and then and and then um, we we make genes that are needed for the discovery of vaccine and therapies and and um and and we also launch new products, which is a, a synthetic control for those new the new COVID test where you get a yes or no answer. Do I have COVID? Actually, developing those tests and making sure that every day those work, you need a positive control, right? You need to know in this tube I have COVID, and I'm going to run the test to make sure it works. And it used to be that you had to grow the virus. Uh, to create that positive control, and it was super dangerous. And so at Twist, we launched a new product line uh, in March last year, which is COVID in a tube. So you get the full 29 KB RNA sequence of COVID, uh, but it's safe. We cut it in five pieces, so you could brush your twist, you know, you could brush your teeth with it. Don't do it, but you could. <laughs> and uh, and so that has been quite a successful product and and um, uh, lately we just announced that the, the CDC is uh, using um, those controls for for flu test and and uh, it's been it's been very popular uh, uh, people that run the test they need that control and, and it's been a, it's been a hit for us. Now, Emily, with a, any platform company that enables so much, so much possibility, I mean, it's, you know, you can theoretically do just about anything, but, you know, practically speaking as a company, you got to make choices. You can't do everything. Uh, what would be an example of something where you've thought about entering an area and, and decided not to or said no? Yeah, no, um, uh, we have so much cake to eat that uh, we have to be organized in cake eating. And um, actually, it's a hard thing for me to say no. But um, but back in uh, back, I think 2017, uh, we hired a coach to to help the Twist executive team and me in particular on how to say no. And and so I think now now we can say no. And you're right. You know, a few times a year, we make a list of what are, what what should we do? What can we do? And we we always come up with there's a hundred things we could do, and and we are trying to be disciplined to pick the, the five or 10 that we're going to do well and in, in all the rest. So for instance, in the genomic side, uh, single cell sequencing is very hot. RNA sequencing is very hot. Uh, spatial sequencing is very hot, but we've decided not to do it uh, or not to do it quite yet. And so 
uh, we are we are launching the products that we we have on our on our roadmap, and and um, maybe we'll go in those in those directions in the future. But those those are things that we've chosen not to do. I see one big investment that you have chosen to make is you call this a factory of the future in Oregon, 110,000 square foot facility looks to be up and running in 2022. Um, what's the what's the strategy there? Yeah, so the strategy is to get ahead of the demand. Um, so if you look at our revenues, they were from three to 11 to 24 to 54 to 90. And so what happened is- $90 million um, a year. That's right. Uh, yeah. And so when we were at, at uh, $50 million a year, we had a capacity of 100 million. And so we're like, well, we have to increase capacity. So increase to 200 million. And then we grew into 90. And so now we know that $200 million is not going to cut it um, in, in, in the near, in the medium, in the soon. And so we decided that we have to build a capacity of $500 million because we are going to need it. So, so that's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is there are some flavors of DNA we want that uh, we want to do, but it, it's, uh, we need more space. Um, and so that factor of the future will enable us to develop those, those new flavors of DNA that, that we, we were not able to do. So more capacity and the ability to launch new products uh, that will delight our customers. And you found uh, some nice cheap land somewhere in Oregon, a short flight from San Francisco. <laughs> is that part of it? Yeah, so that was the idea. Is, is we wanted something that was you know lower cost, something that uh, that was out of an earthquake zone um, uh, for for continuity of manufacturing, some place that had um, that had a, a educated workforce, and then something that, something that that was a, a day trip because we anticipate that our engineers will have to spend uh, some time there. And we want them to be able to do it in, in one day. So that, 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 that was the, the idea. Um, you're not yet profitable. Uh, you're, you're selling products, you know, nine cents a base. Uh, is this going to keep going lower or, or I, how low can you go on, on price before, you know, you, you have to start, you know, operating at a profit? Yeah. Uh, so so uh, we are we are gross margin positive, right? So every time we every time we make a product, we we earn more than it costs us to make the product. But uh, we we also have a, a, a very healthy investment in R and D to launch those new products. Uh, our analysis is that if we wanted to be profitable around uh, around. Um, a little bit more than $100 million, we, we could. Uh, but that would mean that our growth would be different. And so if we need to, we have the, we have the ability to be profitable. But uh, we have also a lot of good ideas. So investors are supportive of us continuing to invest to keep those revenue growing. Um, and, and, uh, and so we have, we have a path to profitability. In terms of the, the outlook and you go. Um, you know, we're students of the market, and and uh, uh, when when uh, we think there'll be an opportunity to lower the cost and increase the market, we will do it. Um, and so uh, we we want to create more of that elasticity, and uh, definitely with with the uh, factor of the future, that that's something that uh, we will have the opportunity to to do. 
I mean, these markets are big and, and they're still like early in their evolution, like just be, beginning to like be created really as people start thinking about what they can do at a lower price of DNA synthesis. Do you, like, do you have a sense of like how big these markets are and, and what percentage of it you've captured already? Yeah, so, so uh, on, on the writing side, uh, the the market for uh, DNA uh, synthesis is a bit more than than four hundred million dollars for people that buy DNA, and then there's an, an additional uh, nine hundred uh, million dollars uh, for uh, people that make their own DNA, so they they clone, um, and so we think that that combination uh, of uh, we we could combine people that buy and 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 make uh, uh, DNA so so together that that that's you know, almost 1.9 million dollars maybe almost almost two billion dollars and then on the sequencing side um, we have uh, it's a market overall of 1.2 billion dollars for people that that need sequencing and then we have not talked about data storage we have not talked about drug discovery right which we're also going after those bigger markets that are in the billions many billions of of of, of market size so yes we're going after big markets markets that are growing and then we're coming with with disruptive um technology to take market share yeah and at 90 million a year in actual revenue you know it, you, you've captured a pretty small slice of the pie yeah what we said is we are just crashing the surface so there's a there's a lot a lot to come what would be uh, who's a business leader that you uh, look up to or admire, and, and why? Wow, I was not ready for that question. Um, um, business leader that I admire and why? Um, well, maybe, maybe it's a little bit uh, out out there, but um, I, I I really admire what what Oprah Winfrey has done. You know, she, she you know, it's not our field. But but you know she she built her own voice. She she uh, created her own um, her own uh, story, her, her own business, and and she didn't follow the the um, the the classical path, and she created something that now everybody is trying to emulate. And so that that that's kind of, that's something that I admire. Like if. If you come to me and you say we are going to do X, and I ask why, well, because everybody else does it, and I am not interested in doing what everybody else is doing. So, so, um, so, I, I, to me, it resonates that let's let's get a sense of what people's need, and let's deliver something that that is unique, something they they had not thought was possible, and something that is life changing and, and changing in our case, changing the way they do research. And then just just follow that vision and 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 just crush it. That's an interesting answer. She's done some interesting good things and overcome some uh, barriers and some uh, and defied expectations o- along the way. I, I suppose you could probably relate on a couple levels there. Um, relate to many levels, yes. Yeah, yeah. What's well, another uh, last thing I want to ask you, Emily? What's a good book that you've read lately? <laughs> Uh, so my my all time uh, favorite is um, uh, is venture deals, and uh, I've, I've probably read it ten times. And uh, uh, even though I'm public and I still I still uh, uh, study it uh, like my Bible, it's by Breadfields, and they are they are venture uh, investors, and they they tell. 
uh, entrepreneurs how to raise money and how to interact with investors. And, and I think that that has been my um, most useful, most favorite um, book uh, of business. What's so, what's so great about it? What's so great is that they tell you exactly what investors want to hear and how they think and and uh, and uh, what's important at the seed stage at series A, series B, series C, IPO. Uh, it, it's just it's just um, it, it it demystifies the the whole experience that sounded to me like a mountain of raising money, and and they uh, they make they they make it a lot a lot easier. And so that that um, that that's a real book I read often. And then recently, I just reread my um, non-business, my favorite uh, book. It's it's a uh, it's a, a French uh, writer called Voltaire, um, who's a philosopher, and he wrote Candid. And Candid by Voltaire is, is my uh, yeah is a great book that I go back often. So it's a quick read, but it's a it's a very second degree, very very. very um, uh, very, very useful uh, approach to understanding human nature. Voltaire, a, a writer a few people have heard of. Um, <laughs> Emily LaPruce, th- thanks so much for joining me today on The Long Run. Best of luck. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Long Run, a production of Timmerman Report. Pedro Rosado of Headstepper Media was the sound editor. Music is from D.A. Wallach. See you next episode.